This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Guardian Football Weekly. So as expected, it'll be Manchester United versus Newcastle United in the Carabao Cup final. It was basically done in the first leg, but apart from a couple of early scares, Martial and Fred's goals win it. Nice to see Jaden Sancho back. Also today, a bit more on the transfer window and just the extreme difference between the money spent in the Premier League compared to the rest of Europe. There's a Premier League preview. Sean Dyche against the league leaders. Also today, the police finally apologised for Hillsborough just after anyone can actually get into trouble for it. We'll chat to the good people at Mundial Magazine about... Mundial Magazine. It's good and you'll probably like it. And we never got round to discussing the top 10 players in the world in 2022, which of me and Baz made the more ridiculous decisions. All that plus some excellent observations on our terrible observations yesterday. More window cleaners, peanut butter, the name Bond, Micah Richards Bond, vasectomy requests, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Paul McInnes, welcome. Good morning, Max. Hello, Barry Glenn Denning. Hello. Mikel says, no actual questions, just need some hot takes from JJB. What a ridiculous niche you've carved for yourself. I love it, Brian. I love it. How you doing, mate? You all right? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Let's start then at Old Trafford. Manchester United 2, Nottingham Forest 0. Those goals in the second half won it for United. And there were a couple of Forest chances early, Paul, but it was pretty straightforward as we kind of expected it would be, Paul. Yes, uh, you know, Forrest really had to do something early on in the game if if they were going to make a, a fist of it, given that they were three goals down at the halfway point of the tie. And, you know, Emmanuel Dennis had a, had a reasonably lively game, looked something like the player they had from Watford uh, last season, had a decent chance, had one sort of blocked by Sam Surridge on the line, I think. And then there was Brennan Johnson also had a good effort, saved by Tom Heaton. But it still felt like it was within United's control about where Corst hit the post first half. And then second half, they permed their forwards, put Rashford on, Sancho on, Martial on. Rashford got two assists and Martial got on the score sheet as well as Fred. So it was it was job done, really. I mean, I think what was notable was, was how seriously Ten Hag took the fixture playing, you know, most notably Casemiro in the, in the centre of midfield, but also bringing out Varane, who he sometimes likes to rest. Shaw was in the team. A lot of experienced heads out there who dictated Fernandez, who dictated the play, dictated the game and, you know, show that Den Haag, as much as Newcastle and Eddie Howe kind of, you know, feel that this is an important moment for for the club and um, to get some silverware to kind of show that the, the trajectory is um, going in the right direction. Um. It was nice to see Jaden Sancho, Barry. I mean, I hadn't forgotten he existed, but but it, it feels like, as someone who didn't watch him all the time at Dortmund, I, I was just aware of this great footballer and have never seen it in Manchester United shirt. And obviously this this good performance doesn't won't make or break him, but it was just lovely to see him back and enjoying playing football. Yeah, and he got a good reception from Manchester United fans. I think he's been out for 
three months. And then there was that weird decision to, to send him to the Netherlands to train with some specialist team. I understand he sort of had mental health issues and fitness issues and just it just seemed odd at the time. But he's back now. He's apparently playing with a smile on his face and uh, the fans gave him a very warm reception, which will obviously do him no end of good, uh, one imagines. But it, it, uh, there's not a huge amount to say about the game. Manchester United were more or less in complete control and Forrest just played quite well but weren't good enough. Yeah, I think that's... Well, we could just move on <laughs> to the Premier League. <laughs> actually, I, on, on Manchester United, Jordan, like that that sort of set of wide men, if if Sancho has comes into form and form that he used to have and Garnacho keeps pushing on and either Anthony and Rashford, that is actually quite a terrifying set of four players that you will pick two between two and three of. And I don't think I've forgotten anyone obvious sort of within that set. It's an excellent set of footballers. They are, and they are. And just on Sancho, it was really good to see him back. I mean, I've mentioned before that uh, being a South London boy myself, I'm biased, but I really want the boy to do well. He's clearly got talent. And I think if Ten Hag, who I think the rest of the league needs to start taking seriously, I think he's a brilliant manager. If he can get his hands on on people like Sancho and Ganacho, I think they've got there's two there alone, as well as Rashford and maybe one other in the summer. They've got some really terrifying uh, wide men to kind of take on the league next season. There's no reason why Sancho in 18 months, or even a year from now, can't be doing for United what, say, Saka is doing at Arsenal. So I think it's amazing. And I also agree with with um, with Paul that I thought the squad that United picked was um, particularly interesting, how, how strong they were. They may regret that down the line of the season, but I, I think it was a sign of taking it very, very seriously. And let's be honest, nobody outside of Nottingham or Southampton wanted um, any other final than Manchester United versus Newcastle. Just put out there a potential counterpoint to the four wide men being, you know, well, obviously they're exciting and obviously, but th- there is a potential shadow on that, which is that you've got four very expensive players um, and Garnacho, whose contract is, you know, about to come to an end, well, in, 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 eight, in at the end of next season, I think, and but is a very uh, highly rated talent. That how are you going to keep all these guys happy? Um, and, and you know, if, if you can only play two of them, that's the system they kind of play. If you've got Fernandez in the middle there, are you going to be able to keep them all happy? And furthermore, these players seem to be players who need to play to get into form. You know, Anthony being Anthony being one, Sancho being another. They need regular runs of game. So actually, it might be that there's a bit of congestion there that that, that could could be problematic. Could you could you do Sunday league and just guarantee them all forty five? You'll all get forty five if you if you can be bothered to come all the way to Wembley. I'll give you all forty five. That, that's yeah. what Ten Hag has to do. I mean, the final Barry is is beautifully poised, right? And we talked a lot about Newcastle yesterday. Manchester United, I, I was surprised that there were, it was five years without a trophy. It feels, I mean, I, can't, I mean, everything blends into one. I just presume that United win something every three years. That's, that's a long time for a Manchester United fan to have not seen their side lift something. So, so it sounds stupid to say both teams will want to win this final, but <laughs> both teams actually really will want to win this final. Well, yeah, of course they will. No one gets to a final and then decide, ah, can't be bothered. But um, five years is a long time for Manchester United to go without a trophy. I think they've they lost two finals in that time, the Europa League and something else. It's hard to call. Newcastle are ahead of them in the league. I don't think Newcastle have been playing particularly well in recent weeks. Uh, not as well as they were before Christmas, certainly. And 
Manchester United are obviously hitting their stride under Eric Ten Hag. I think just on very current form, I have United edging it, but I just have a feeling Newcastle's name is on this one. Really? I mean, it is, Jordan, and I say this, and I can't remember who was in the Carabao Cup final last year, so maybe it was exciting, but I, I feel like normally you get to the Carabao Cup final and it's Man City and someone else, and you think, well, they don't really mind about this, so I'm not that bothered about this final, but you just, you just, it feels like, I reckon Carabao are very happy about the teams that they have in this final. <laughs> well, it was Chelsea Liverpool, wasn't it, last year? I think. Um, but yeah, this is this is a game where I think, as Barry says, the most interesting thing about it is that I, I don't know who goes in as favourites. I, I think on current form, United probably edge it, but I I think the momentum and I think what Newcastle are building that makes me lean more towards them. But then I like Ten Hag. So it, it should be a really good final. It's good to have a team like Newcastle who are not often, not, not often in this final, um, in this final. Um, but yeah, I suppose for Carabao, it's a, it's a dream because you have both t- two teams that are desperate, as you mentioned, to, to take the cup home. And I suspect, Paul, a lot of people will say, and, and it's hard to, and it probably does ring true, that because Manchester United have players who have won things, you think of Varane and Casemiro and that kind of experience, that that will help on the day and that there is a possibility that Newcastle just there's a sort of giddiness right about Newcastle you know Trafalgar Square will be fountain will be full of Newcastle fans there will just be a a, a sort of everybody there none of them have really experienced a final I don't think and so I wonder if controlling that giddiness will be important yeah absolutely absolutely I mean the the, uh it does it you do kind of feel that um Kieran Trippier is kind of the boiled down essence of kind of gritty, being there, seen there, done that, not a composure man. They've got players elsewhere in the team, as you know, Callum Wilson and um, Bruno Grimaud strike me as being quite kind of battle-hardened individuals. Nick Pope, very composed goalkeeper. So, I, and it's it's that, you know, down to the manager, uh, Eddie Howe, he's a smart guy. I'm sure he will send them out with the right message. I agree with Barry, though. I think their form is is, is slightly not what it was. And I think they're, they're, like, they're struggling for goals a little bit at the moment. That 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 is something that might that might tilt, tilt the game in Manchester United's favour. But again, and and and, and as well as well as you might feel that the, the the name is written in the trophy, and I can I can, can imagine that. There's also the kind of the it's been such a long time since Newcastle United won a trophy that you can also feel that kind of curse extending on into the. Uh, onto the the horizon. I was going to quickly say that also I think how both teams go into this match I think is crucial. Newcastle have got a top four chance. As of United, do they start now changing their lineups in the league to get ready for this final? And Man United have also got the Barcelona tie, I think, the same week as the final as well. So how both teams go into this final could impact other competitions as well. Yeah, United have pretty much two games a week up until the final, whereas Newcastle have a far less busy schedule and they have, I think, seven-day rest before it without a game. And unless, presumably, unless uh, he's hosting a, a meet award somewhere, it's a good time to get Kevin Keegan out and into a punditry, uh, just to ask him if he would love if he would love it if, uh, if Newcastle won this game. We did quite a lot on the transfer window yesterday and talked to the transfers. I just thought it was interesting to talk about the Premier League compared to the rest of Europe. Johnny Lou wrote quite an interesting piece about you know, the sort of lunacy of the money that's spent. And Colin Miller, uh, the journalist, writing that 31 of the most expensive 35 January transfers were made by English clubs, not by clubs in Spain, 
Germany or Italy. Um, never has the financial gap been so great. Um, I think Bournemouth outbid AC Milan for someone, which, you know, if you sort of told Jimbo in the 90s, that quite ridiculous. The 288 million spent by Chelsea alone was more than the combined amount spent by the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga and Ligue 1. And this is what, what Johnny was saying, look, more of European smaller clubs, quite a few of their larger clubs will end up sort of just refashioning themselves as talent factories for the Premier League mid-table. And I don't know if this is, it feels, Paul, like this is a bad thing because we want there to be, it's easy to be in a Premier League bubble and it feels like this just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, on that sort of sustainability point, you know, you listen to Javier Tebas, who went on a big, who runs La Liga, went on a big rant again and is always going on a big rant against the Premier League, went on one yesterday talking about it being uh, doped. And, um, you know, he says, oh, our clubs are unsustainably. And, you know, the Bundesliga is unsustainably. Whether, you know, it's, Serie A is, is coming out of a sort of a basket case period and partly thanks to... Uh, injections of American investment. So added to the other big, the other big leagues are, are maybe not as unstable and and as th- currently threatened as you might fear. There's then a question about well, what about the leagues underneath that? And is just supporting five big leagues is that a problem for the whole of Europe? So th- there is that, and, and there is that financial case. But I think in Johnny's piece, which is an interesting read, touches on a lot of different things. I think the the point he sort of Comparison he draws is the amount of spending in the Premier League compared to the amount of spending in Disney and creating content, and it, and it, and it's comparable. And I think really the way you've got to look at this, and particularly with the amount of American investment going in, is that if they're building a product, that's what they're doing. They want to. It's about TV money. It's about continuing to kind of maintain the global broadcast dominance. And you'll know this, Max, as well as anybody, you know, working in Australia, the, the, the broadcast dominance of the Premier League and taking it away, getting more money, renewing those deals, extending those deals, growing the international fan base. And you do that by having compelling stars on the pitch. And, and you know, and I think there's also a bit of it that says quite a lot of people like watching the transfer window in and of itself as well. People, you know, that idiotic phrase who won the transfer window. Some people do actually care about that. And, and that's part of the drama, part of the entertainment thing. I, I think if you look at it through that perspective, it becomes something slightly different. Yeah. I mean, I suppose what's interesting is that on that specific subject, I do find it fascinating that, you know, some people, you know, your Romanos, your Ornsteins, you know, they've they've sort of carved a career out of knowing like 10 minutes before anyone else if Enzo Fernandez has signed it. Why don't you just wait 10 minutes? I don't, you know, like, like it's, it's, you know, I would love Barry to be forced into that role to be cracking the phones, you know, come, come rain or shine. It seems it does, but, but you're totally right. Paul is totally right that that is a, that's part of the currency. On yesterday's pod, we were talking about, you know, reasonably sane adults talking about these telephone numbers that Chelsea and other clubs were spending it. As if it was just completely normal, you know. And we we're living <laughs> yeah. in an age of austerity. And then yesterday, I put on Sky Sports News, and they kept, you know, showing looped footage of Endo Fernandez's plane landing at some airport somewhere. And you just go, "This is this is insane. What what are we doing?" <laughs> um, but that's the way it is now, and people lap that shit up, um, you know, and and. Good luck to them. That's there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just bizarre. 
I try to stay away from the whole transfer madness and all the kind of the, the shit that goes with it as well because it's just stupid. But I do think, I often hear people talk about the fact that, oh, football's are washed this money. And as Barry said there, in a time when we're living through austerity. And my kind of brain goes to, okay, so what's the link? Why should, and I, I don't know the answer to this question, but why should the fact that the country is in austerity and there's people struggling in their everyday lives, why should that matter that football is you know, a wash, you know, it's like an orgy of money going around and there's, there's inf inflated money being paid for football players. What, what What's the link? Why should the everyday man care that Enzo Fernandez has gone for a stupid amount of money in his industry when I'm struggling to pay bills for the, where and I work in the Shell Garage or Tesco, wherever it may be. How do the two link? Well, I, I agree with you. And I mean, you know, people make these sort of comparisons you know, focus on football and not on move, movie stars and whatever they earn. I just guess there's a vulgarity and and there's a sort of this culture of waste, right? And there are all these footballers who were bought for loads of money last window and now just sort of bugger off somewhere on loan for not very much money. Well, I suppose we are also part of the machine, right? Oh, we're, absolutely. We're part, yeah. we're part of the, 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 if it's a problem, we're part of the problem. I wonder, Paul, if, you know, eventually, you know, is it better if you're a rich American to buy Bournemouth then to be part of this because it's got the most money? Or you could go and buy a team in France or Spain and maybe have a chance of actually being there and seeing a trophy being lifted. Yeah, I mean, I think increasingly you're seeing the former, aren't you? you that the, 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 the people are going, well, despite the, the high valuations of buying clubs in England, then, you know, you're, you're, you're part of the, 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 main, the main game in town. I mean, you know, the Premier League is an international product that happens to be based in England. And it, it, there's there's no reason why. Well, there is one reason why Bournemouth can't become the next great um, international sensation, and that's the size of their ground. You know, you 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 go to the Vitality Stadium, you're aware immediately of of, of Bournemouth's small club history. But that could change over time, and I'm sure they, I'm sure these owners are thinking in those terms. The live experience is an increasingly sidelined part of the football game. You need the fans in there. You need the noise. But beyond that. You know, as we saw in Qatar, you can always turn the dials to make things louder than they might appear anyway. Beyond that, it's all about what happens on the TV screen and that can really be, or the, the phone screen, and that can be, happens anywhere, really. Um, all right, well, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll, we'll look ahead to this money-swilling, hideous <laughs> beast that is the Premier League. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome to part two uh, of the Guardian Football Weekly. Yes, the money swimming beast, and we feed off the scraps, Barry. Um, uh, uh, Friday is Chelsea Fulham, uh, West London Derby. I mean, Chelsea and all the new signings. I guess the the fascinating thing, Basil, we just see just who gets in the Chelsea team. Yeah, um, I mean, this raft of new signings have been brought in, all on long contracts. It's eight in January. By the law of averages, you'd think at least three of them are going to be flops. Now, we don't know who. Let's hope so. Chances are 
And, you know, I, I really hope, I, I would love if all eight of them just did a Winston Bogart <laughs> for the next eight years. <laughs> well, Joe well, Felix is only on loan, but the other seven, that would be so funny. Graham Potter's going, he's got a problem now. I mean, he's, he's, it's it's just who does he pick? Who does he leave out? What does he do with Hakim Ziyech if he's home from Paris? <laughs> I did love and uh, Sky yesterday. They kept referring to the fact that he's stranded in Paris as if that, <laughs> like Tom Hanks in that airport. <laughs> no. Of all the Tom yeah. Hanks films you were going to pick, I'd have thought Castaway would have worked better as stranded. <laughs> well, uh, but, but, but yeah. you're right. Hakim yes. Ziyech stuck in it. <laughs> A, uh, no man's land in an airport talking to a football with a face painted <laughs> on it. <laughs> if Chelsea lose this game, uh, which is quite possible, Graham Potter is going to be under more pressure. The, the fans are not... A lot of the fans are not particularly happy with him. Um, and I don't know if if that huge splurge is... I'd love to know what he thinks of it. Obviously, he wants good players at his disposal, but it does ramp up the pressure on him. Yeah. I mean, so when I sit there, Paul, with a whiteboard, just writing, with all written down, going, or maybe they're on, like, magnetic strips, and he could just keep putting them in, going, God, I just don't know. And actually, the point you made about the Man United front four, like, how how does he keep everybody happy? I've no idea. Yeah, well, I kind of feel like um, what has actually happened is that they've, going to bin off last summer. Like, they spent $250 million on, you know, Cucciarella, Sterling, Koulibaly, et cetera, and so on. And I think they're all going to get binned off because if there's any strategy to what they're doing here, and I kind of imagine there is, I think it's a risky one, but I think there is that they've, they've, they're going for what they perceive to be the best international talent at the age of average age of 23 so that there's, they can play now, but they've also got scope to develop and they've also got resale value. And that's the logic behind Enzo Fernandez. He's the, he's the you know, the Jorginho replacement or Kante replacement. And, uh, you know, they're willing to pay that money for him because he's that age, that skill set, and they can, they can build a team around him. But I think they're looking at these players who they bought previously who are 28 um, or, you know, a bit older and, and kind of thinking, yeah, well, they have, A, they haven't cut it. And and B, no, that was the wrong that was the wrong approach, and that, you know that I think that's an indictment in and of itself when you're talking about waste. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're going to see these new. I think Mudric will start. I, I reckon the fans will get to see a bit of him um, this weekend. You'll probably see Fernandez come off the bench. Um, but yeah, and then place people like Noni Madueke, who you know is a great talent and, and has been developing really well at PSV. I suspect you'll see them sort of more slowly coming into the side. Um, although Badashieli is already in the team and playing well, isn't he? Uh, Everton Arsenal is the early kickoff on Saturday. Richard says, "What will the scenes be like in the BN Sports Studio when Arsenal lose to Sean Dyche's Everton?" Obviously, his first game. They didn't get anyone in the transfer window, despite going after every footballer that exists. Um, why, Jordan? Do I think Everton will get something from this game? There's no logic to that. No, um, it's all set up, isn't it, for a, a, a Sean Dyche, if you like, masterclass of digging in. Bodies on the line, off the line, balls cleared, and then nicking it in the last minute to, to, to inflict Arsenal's first defeat since, what was it, October when United beat them. Um, 
uh, they'll be up for it. I, I saw some videos. I, I forgot to put it in the WhatsApp group. I saw a video of the of him doing the bleep test with the players on day one. It was yes. so old school and Sean Dyche. <laughs> I loved it. Um, so if anything, they'll be drilled if if not if nothing else. Um, I, I think from an Arsenal perspective, I think Arsenal got to kind of block out the noise of it being Everton's new manager's first day. They've got to treat it as business as usual. They've come for a very difficult set of fixtures in the last four or five matches. You know, they've got to see it as this is the bottom team in the league or bottom three team in the league. If you want to win the title, you have to win these games. So I think Arsenal just need to kind of just see it as a get in, get the job done, get out. I don't think they need to be particularly pretty or, or expansive. Just get the three points and move on. Can I just briefly talk, touch on Georgina? Because I know you discussed mm. transfers yesterday, but there was so much nonsense I heard spoken about by a core of the Arsenal fan base about this. And I accept that it's not a glamorous 100 million pound signing like Chelsea are doing. But I think it's a very, very low risk signing, Max. I think that if we don't win the title, it won't be because of Jorginho. But I think if we do, I think it could be because of him. And I think it's a very, very intelligent, very economic um, signing of someone that's won things, knows the Premier League and offers you cover. And my logic with the Jorginho thing is, it's a year and a half contract or two year contract. It's only got to be good for four months. He's only got to be good for the next four or five months. So this idea that he's like, you know, the long term, no, it's just to get us over the line. So I, I think despite wanting Casado and other players that were more glamorous and more expensive, we might actually have um, brought in someone that actually is probably beneficial for the now ahead of those guys that in the long term are probably better, but in the short term might, might, might not have been so good. How do you see it going, Baz? Um, I, I think Arsenal beat them. <laughs> well, you're probably right <laughs> quite you? comfortably yeah uh, Everton are an absolute mess I don't know if a couple of bleep tests and some set piece training will <laughs> sort be enough to sort them out for this one but uh, yeah I mean Everton god they just had such a bad trans it's a disastrous uh, transfer window which I'd imagine has left Sean Dyche effing and jeffing under his breath at least I saw a couple of Everton fans on TV from Everton fan TV or whatever it's called yesterday warning more or less the, the board to stay away because they don't want them there as a distraction you know they're saying we'll get behind the team we'll get behind Sean Dyche but we don't want you there because sections of the crowd will turn on you it'll be a distraction for fans it'll be a distraction for players and it's just it's a mess there at Goodison Park yeah just a tiny little point that I wanted to make you know this this bad defending of you know Everton's is kind of endemic it's been there for a long time I mean Rafa Benitez couldn't sort it out so you know you know hoping that Sean Dyche can kind of you know neutralize that in one week might be a bit ambitious um on on Sean Dyche hating hats and never wearing hats Sam did a deep dive and found a picture of Sean Dyche wearing a hard hat in 2016. So, there we, I mean, if there was going to be a hat <laughs> that he would allow, it would absolutely be a hard hat, wouldn't it? Um, uh, Saturday, looking at the fixture list, it's sort of one of those where none of them really jump off the page to me, but they've all, they all had, you know, it's that stage of the season, but they all have something riding on them, don't they? And Villa Leicester, like Villa's run has been really impressive under Emery, winning seven uh, and drawing one and losing one under Unai Emery. And they play Leicester, who at the bottom of the table, Paul, is just so ludicrously tight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Leicester's form is woeful and you know, has has been... There was this a sort of a mini renaissance 
before uh, the World Cup, um, completely forgotten about since the return from the World Cup. And Villa are three points off the top six. Emery knows what he's doing. Bubakar Kamara is purring. You know, they're getting the more out of Emi Buendia and Ollie Watkins is back in goal form. You kind of think, you know, it can be very, very difficult for Leicester. The, 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 one, the one thing that you kind of might think is that Madison was kind of instrumental to that good form before, before the World Cup and he's now back. And, you know, Harry Sutar is a good player. They can plug, probably plug him straight into, straight into the middle of the fence and hope he does a job. But I, I think it's difficult to see beyond the home win for this. Uh, Brentford played Southampton. Brentford unbeaten in eight, um, which slightly surprised me. One four and drawn four. Uh, Brighton played Bournemouth. Only City and Arsenal scored more goals than Brighton since De Zerbi, uh took over. Uh, Manchester United Palace. Palace uh, Palace drew, didn't they? These fixtures, the sort of return fixtures were quite recent, weren't they? Um, Palace and Man United drew at Selhurst Park quite recently. And uh, Wolves Liverpool. Uh, Mo Salah only three goals away from Robbie Fowler's record of 128 Premier League goals for Liverpool. I mean, that's it's a massive game for Liverpool, Baz, isn't it? Because just in this sort of terrible run. Uh, it is a massive game. And it's a game I think they might... I think they will lose. Um, Wolves have brought in six new players, I think, at a cost of about 77 million. I think we'll be talking more about them later. Good signings. I don't know how many of them will play at the weekend. But, um, yeah, both both sides of Merseyside uh, have, have their own problems. And I, it would not surprise me in the least if Liverpool lost this game. Uh, Newcastle West Ham's the late kickoff on Saturday. Nick Pope could become the first goalkeeper to keep seven consecutive clean sheets. He's on an amazing run, isn't he? And then on Sunday, we've got Forest Leeds and Spurs Man City. Sorry, has uh, did Nick Pope not just keep nine consecutive clean sheets and then until uh, the, the semi-final second leg is it I'm seven consecutive producer, Premier, Premier League Premier League yes I was about to throw Silas under the bus but he has <laughs> written in the Premier League last time Forrest played Leeds in the Premier League April 1999 it was 3-1 to Leeds Hasselbank Ian Hart and Alan Smith with the goals Carlton Palmer sent off for Forrest actually Jordan feels like this could be a great game I mean Forrest have got I mean, I see Kaylor Navas playing for Forest, but I, unlike the Leeds fans, I really enjoy watching Leeds and think they're unlucky every week. <laughs> and and uh, and you know, I think Steve Cooper again, like on that game yesterday, he sounded he's such an impressive guy. He sounds really impressive after the game, but I just think this could be a really good game. It could be, yeah. I mean, Forest were dog awful. I thought in both legs, they had a couple of chances against United in the second leg last night, but they they were crap. Um, but then they're thirteenth in the league. So for, for a team that I've kind of thought is actually awful, they're, they're not doing too bad. And to be fair to them, I remember pre-season Forest fans calling up, you know, various stations and seeing lots of fan boards, message boards, and them talking about, yeah, we're going to stay up comfortably. We're going to finish mid-table. We're going to do this and do that. I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely bananas. But to be fair to them, they're only what? They're 13th. They're only eight points, to be fair, off mid-table. But, they're, you know, they're, they're comfortable right now. And I think Forest Leeds does have that kind of memories of, as you mentioned there, the kind of early to, to, to mid-90s kind of Premier League fixture. Leeds, uh, Leeds are good fun, but they're the most frustrating team to watch in the world. Um, I can only imagine what it's like being a Leeds, Leeds supporter. And uh, they seem to like Jesse Marsh until they don't. Um, he says something very, very nice that doesn't go down very, very well. But th- this should be, should be a fun game. I just wanted to say that, you know, I agree with you, Max, about 
about this weekend's fixtures and all of them had something to say about them. And, and, and this for me is the most, perhaps the most interesting game of them all with that, with that throwback, but, but also sort of the inverted aspect of it. You know, Cooper is a, a manager that everybody trusts is, is rated as being one of the, you know, the best, you know, most promising young talents in the, in the division. Everybody's suspicious about Jesse Marsh. Forest sort of appeared, Forest have a, you know, this crazy transfer policy that, that meant, you know, they've got 28 players in. Leeds have bought really, really well this season. And I think had a, had, a, had a good, you know, another good wind. I think Weston McKenney is going to be a really important addition for them over the course of the season because I think, you know, again, you can just plug him in. He understands, plays, he knows Tyler Adams really well. The two of them function really together as a team. They, they strengthened back. They got a clean sheet last time. I think it's a really interestingly poised uh, fixture, which, you know, if, if one of them, one or two other wins, it, it could, could really um, send momentum going in both directions. Uh, and then Spurs City, uh, 4.30 on Sunday. Antonio Conte is going to spend a bit of time away from football to recover from gallbladder surgery he had yesterday. Uh, so we wish him well. His assistant, Christian Stellini, is expected to step up. Um, do you think that will make a difference, Barry? Antonio Conte's absence? Um mm. I feel rotten saying but might improve their performance <laughs> might improve their first half I mean my heart goes out to Conte he's had an awful time of it in the last few months off the pitch mm-hmm. anyway um, so you know I hope he gets well soon I, I don't think his absence will make any difference but I, oh, I'm struggling to see Spurs getting anything from this game I suppose they're, they're at home but I saw their cup game again against Preston, massively unimpressed. I know they won it quite easily in the end, but they were very poor um, against a team that isn't particularly good, but defended extremely doggedly. And uh, Tottenham, as early as the first half, were beginning to look just bereft of ideas of how to break down this team that was assembled in front of them. And... uh, yeah, I, if they play like that, they'll get walloped. And the, the just yeah, just the most kind of basic and obvious um, bit of contribution to the pods here. But this for City is a massive game because if Arsenal win their game against Everton the day before, um, they go eight points ahead with a game in hand. You know, Spurs aren't playing very well. I, I think they've been blagging the whole season, um, to, to be honest. But and, and I know that Spurs lost the game a couple of weeks ago at at City. But they have proven to be a difficult team for for City in the last few years. So this is a big this is a big game for City, especially if Arsenal win their game. Um, the top one hundred players in the world, uh, men's players in twenty twenty two, the top ten was announced. Messi came first, and Mbappe second. Um, I should have gone ten to one, like Bruno Brooks, Mohamed Salah at ten, Thibaut Courtois at nine, Vinicius Junior eight, Lewandowski seven, De Bruyne six, Luka Modric five, Haaland four, Benzema, Mbappe, then Messi. Um, what was your most ridiculous selection, Barry, looking back? I think it was not so much selections as omissions. Who was the Italian fella um Nikki spoke about? She she said that he wasn't then playing for Napoli, got striker playing for Napoli. Victor Osserman. Yeah. Uh left him out completely. So that was a, a conspicuous, glaring omission. Uh, my top chain was Messi Mbappe Haaland. Modric, Lewandowski, Hakimi, Casemiro, De Bruyne, Giroud, McAllister. And looking at that now, I'm thinking Giroud. Hmm. But still, he had a good season or a good year. Yeah, I um, I had Valverde at five. 
um, which is perhaps a bit bold. And then uh, Luka Modric made 24, which is weird for me because he's one of my favourite footballers of all time. Um, uh, Victor Osserman plays in Italy, plays for Nigeria as well, just before anyone yells at you, Barry. Um, uh, let's talk about Hillsborough because the National Body for Police Chief Constables has issued an official apology for the police failures that led to the unlawful killing of 97 people in the Hillsborough disaster in 1989 and for the pain and suffering experienced by the bereaved families for years afterwards. Martin Hewitt, uh, the chair of the NPCC, made the apology at the launch of a report setting out senior police officers' commitments to learn lessons from the Hillsborough failures. These include every force having assigned a charter for bereaved families in 2021 that requires police organisations to acknowledge mistakes with openness and candour after a public tragedy and not seek to defend the indefensible, as South Yorkshire police were accused of doing after the 1989 disaster. Uh, Andy Marsh, Chief Executive of the College of Policing, the standard-setting body for the police in England and Wales, said a new code of ethics would also be issued for consultation in the next few weeks. He made an apology saying, Policing has profoundly failed those bereaved by the Hillsborough disaster over many years. We're sorry that the service got it so wrong. Police failures were the main cause of the tragedy and have continued to blight the lives of family members ever since. When leadership was most needed, the bereaved were often treated insensitively and the response lacked coordination and oversight. Now, on the face of it, Barry, it looks like they're saying the right things. The, the one really important caveat is no one can now face prosecution from the police. Well, they admit the police failures were the main cause of the tragedy. And it's, it's taken them 34 years to do that. But no police officer has faced any disciplinary measure or been convicted of any crime. So, you know, the, the victims or the bereaved families still are going, whose fault was this? You know, the police have admitted it, but nobody's been punished. Only one person, only one person has been convicted uh with regard to anything to do with the Hillsborough tragedy, and that was the then Secretary of Sheffield Wednesday, who was found guilty of one safety offence and received a fine of less than 10 grand. Um, so, look, the, the apology, it's late, it's better than nothing, but what the bereaved families want now is the introduction of this, what's called this Hillsborough law. Um so James Jones, the former Bishop of Liverpool, who's previously the chair of the Hillsborough Independent Panel, he issued this report several years ago that had 25 recommendations. Um, it was five years ago his report was published, and the government has yet to respond to that. And Labour's Yvette Cooper said like it shows a lack of respect for the victims. But this Hillsborough law, um, it's a bill introduced in Parliament in 2017 by Andy Burnham, and it would make it a legal duty for public institutions to tell the truth in proceedings, investigations, inquiries, and to act with candour and frankness, as the police have promised to do. One would imagine, you know, the police should <laughs> tell the truth. Yeah, that would go, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and should act with candour and frankness. This, this shouldn't be something they've suddenly stumbled oh yeah maybe we should tell the truth and the thing is when there are inquiries into disasters like hillsborough or grenfell you've got joe public up against uh public institutions or the government and they they're much better resourced they deflect they lie they obfuscate they drag out legal proceedings and this all adds to the suffering of the bereaved families 
um, who also don't have anywhere near the same resources to, to pay for lawyers and stuff like that. Yeah. And actually, they just don't know where to start, right? They just don't know where do you go? Like, what building do you go into? Who do you call? All these really basic things. Yeah. And lots of obstacles are placed in their way. If this bill introduced by Burnham becomes law, it will make it a more even playing field for bereaved families who are trying to get answers in the wake of tragedies. But, um, yeah, I, I just can't get over the fact that the police, 34 years after Hillsborough, have have signed a charter promising to be more truthful and not engage in cover-ups. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Ian Herbert in the Mail wrote a piece actually saying that, and, and you know, about the report, just one line really struck with me saying, look, it didn't, the report did not include what he said were the nasty little details of what those failures looked like. For example, the deliberate distortion of junior officers' evidence. We saw 164 statements substantially altered, comments unfavourable to the constabulary removed or changed in 116. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to own up to this, like put everything out there. But anyway, um, that'll do for part two. Part three, uh, James Bird, the feature editor of Mundial Mag, will join us, and we will talk about it. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. We're going to talk about Mundial magazine. You may have read it. You may have a subscription. You may not have a clue what it is. Uh, James Bird is uh, a feature editor there. Thanks for coming on, James. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, yeah, I've got a 10-month-old daughter who's just brought the plague back from nursery. So if I keel over halfway through, um, just carry on. I'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, an ill bait. I have a 10-month-old boy. And we could talk. I mean, honestly, how are they sleep? Are they sleeping okay? No. How's that going? No. 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 No, no sleep. Oh, mate. Oh dear. Yeah, we've just, we think we've vaguely solved it. Not interesting. Anyway. And look, Josh Whittacombe and Rob Beckett have a very successful podcast where this would really be great content. Tell us um, tell us what Mondial Magazine is, please. For that. You just released ep- uh, issue 24, but for, you know, uh, listeners all over the world who might not know about it, tell us about it. So, uh, yeah, Mondial started in 2014. Um, it was initially a one-off magazine to celebrate the World Cup, but it did really well. So, we carried on and we're now a quarterly uh, printed publication. Comes out every three months, supposed to remind people why they love football. So I think it's interesting stories, bold design, uh, nice photos. And it's not just about the game on the pitch. It's about everything that surrounds it. So travel, fans, food, clothes, boots. Um, and I think we do the sort of, we put as much effort into long form features as we do short form features. So there might be a long form piece about Diego Maradona at Argentinos Juniors, and there might be a long form piece about a team from the low tiers of the Welsh um, Football League. Uh, there might be a piece about Christy the Pie, uh, the Wigan mascot, or there might be a list about the most chaotic teams of all time. So we try to treat the game democratically, I guess. Um, and you can read the whole magazine without knowing who's top of the Premier League, without knowing which managers are under pressure, that everything that exists in the magazine is supposed to be timeless. So you can pick it up at any point and go through it and enjoy it. That's what we try to do. At the risk of um, unleashing a spoiler, I I would like to take exception to the fact that in your uh, forthcoming issue, the Wigan mascot was given a threat level of zero out of 10 because he's a pie. I think he looks quite sinister. (laughs) He does look quite sinister, but we didn't want... We didn't want to pigeonhole pies as sinister. I think that's fair. 
I think that's a very balanced view. I mean, would you say, I mean, obviously I grew up with shoot and match and that was very much, you know, that was league ladders and just posters of football. You know, it was just like, here's a picture of John Eberle and then, you know, and then match ratings out of 10 for Scunthorpe. And I, why was I reading that? But I, but I was, this is a, this is a more cerebral uh, concept. I mean, it is that it's the hipster's choice, right? It's a football hipster's choice. There is a recommendation for 2020, 21 FCU Trek training shorts in this at this issue they're a good pair of shorts yeah they are nice <laughs> i think it's fair to say that as the hipster choice and we sort of we play with that as well we'll definitely say we're the magazine for the flat white drinking tote bag carrying football fan but i think at the same time we're also silly we love match we love shoot we love sort of like the early loaded magazines where it was all sex and drugs and fun stuff um, so I think definitely sort of, yeah, cerebral maybe, and we we try to maybe pretend we're intellectual, but I think we're as silly as any good magazine should be. Are you guys old enough to have grown up in a culture of magazines, or is this something that you, you that kind of you, you there's a nostalgia to it a little bit? Because I, 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 may, I may be wrong here, but I think you, you stopped, you went out of print publication for a bit, but then came back. So you're obviously very committed to the format in an age when not many people are. Yeah, I mean, we're all aged between, I mean, we're now all aged between 30 and 45. So there's definitely an element to having rose-tinted glasses and looking at magazines through a sort of nostalgic lens. But also we all love the idea of having something physical and having something that you can hold and look through and smell um, and sort of show off to your friends and family that you've got this thing that looks quite nice in your bag or on your coffee table. Let's be honest, it's good to have something that you don't need Wi-Fi for or the battery can't run out of. It's quite good to get away from the doom scroll because we all do it all day, every day, and it's quite nice to be producing something that's away from that. Hi, James. You mentioned that the magazine is a democracy and there's a wide breadth of different subjects that you that you cover in the magazine. What was the idea for a feature that you all thought, we really want to do this, but we're not quite sure if it will land, that actually ended up doing pretty well? That's interesting. I think the bravest feature that we've done since we came back. So during the pandemic, um, we didn't release a magazine for two years. It just wasn't feasible. We were all working from our kitchens and we weren't sure if we were going to be able to carry on. But we have, we've got through that. And I think in the first... Um, magazine uh, after the pandemic we did a really bold feature that was a report from uh, the front line of ukraine that was done by a guy called jake hanrahan who runs a independent conflict journalism uh, brand called popular front and he went to the ukrainian front line and spoke to a bunch of guys who used to be ultras who used to be sort of hooligan fighting ultras who are now fighting on the front line of ukraine and i think that was one where we had to sort of go, is this the right thing to do? Um, but then realise absolutely, yes, it was. And it was a really, really special piece of writing. And, and the kind of thing we definitely want to do more of where something's brave and different. And, you know, football wasn't really mentioned throughout the whole piece, but it's still part of football culture because of who they were. Yeah, I mean, I think we wrestle with that those similar balances of, I, I essentially want to be silly all the time. But fine, because if you try and cover football and all of football, there's a lot of murky shit that you have to cover. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that that's a big part. 
our tagline is reminding you why you love football. So to sort of get around the murky stuff, not get around it, but there's so much. If you if you go into every football club on the planet, there's stuff that stinks. Every league, every tournament, there's stuff that stinks. And I think Mundial's always been quite forthright with its political views as well. We've all we've always put that at the front of our communications and we've really wanted to let people know what we think about things. But equally, we want to look at the, you know, the 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 things that are at the root of football that we all enjoy. And that's the silliness, the brilliance, the magic, the adventures you have when you go and watch a game, the the carnage on the way home. Um, so yeah, I hope we I hope we do that, and I hope that comes across. Uh, give us a couple of things that are in this issue uh, that will force every one of our listeners to go and buy it immediately. Okay, so the cover there's five cover stories. We did five covers, which was probably silly, but it looks nice. Uh, <laughs> so look cool. five covers that uh, on we've got Rooney, Messi, Ronaldo. Uh, Maradona and Haaland. So for each of these stories, we commissioned a writer to encapsulate a chapter in the early part of their career. So Messi at La Masia, Maradona at Argentinos Juniors, Rooney in 2004 when he was the best player, you know, the best young player in the world, Ronaldo at Cruzeiro and Haaland at Dortmund. So that's really special. I think they're five brilliant pieces. We've also got a piece about a guy who played 120 years on Football Manager which ends up with Romelu Lukaku winning the Champions League as PSG manager six times <laughs> and Eric, Eric Lamella winning the Ballon d'Or and uh, Manchester City Stadium being renamed the Mancini Arena. So that's good. Uh, there's a travel piece uh, from Iceland, which is all about sulfuric gases and how when you go to watch low league football anywhere in the world, there's still people telling each other to fuck off, which is great. Um, and there's a really very Mundial Barry you mentioned us being hipsters and excuse me I did not say any, anything about hipsters <laughs> that, that, that was Max that was me that, that was, was Max me. was it <laughs> Jesus I'm projecting there aren't I yeah, 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 yeah you are yeah. Uh, Barry was definitely thinking it but you know <laughs> yeah. no I, I think the Blizzard is the hipster magazine of choice uh, right. I, I wouldn't put Mundial uh, in the same bracket Fair enough. Okay, okay. We move, we move forward. There's a great piece about a guy who's got um an amazing Italian 19 memorabilia collection. He's even he's got like the Fiat Panda that they made that's got the mascot all over it and it's got seats with the it's stitched into it, coke cans and typewriters and the lot, which is frankly insane. But it's it's an, it's a nice piece about a man who's obsessed with something. Um if somebody wants a copy, how do they get one, please? So mundialmag.com, you can subscribe, which uh, in the UK is only £10 every three months and you get the magazine through your door. Uh, You get a Club Mundial membership card. You get access to events. Um, I would say subscribing is a good way of getting the magazine. You're a Wolves fan. So um, uh, one minute on how you're feeling about Julien Lopetegui. Um, I am a Wolves fan. Julien Lopetegui. He's definitely better than Bruno Lager. I think Wolves, <laughs> I think the Premier League is bloated and silly and even the teams at the bottom have got players and managers that could be a top four player or manager in another league. But I think Wolves will be fine. We've got loads of players with very special attributes. Adama Traore can do things nobody else can do in the world. 
Neves is probably the best passer I've ever seen at the Molyneux. Um, Pedence is like a little magician. I can imagine him like clicking his fingers at some point and the ball will disappear for five seconds. So I think if Lopetegui gets him, gets him rolling, we'll be all right. You, you don't have a player who has the specific attribute of scoring goals on a regular basis. <laughs> I know. It's bad, isn't Gosh. it? It's bad. And we, I think, so my my dad is, uh, has been a season ticket holder for 50 years, and he's also been ringing up BBC WM for 50 years on the, the week, the midweek phone-ins. And he recently sent me a text that said, Jamie, we need 25 goals to stay up this season. And I've listed every player in the squad <laughs> and how many goals that I think they're going to score. And it was like, Pedence, two. Totti, zero. Jimenez, one. Sarabia, one. And he, to be fair, he did ring up WM and go through the list. And they they listened to him. So Good. Uh, That's brilliant. It's brilliant and maybe why I'm here now. <laughs> probably uh, well listen thanks so much for coming on uh, we encourage everyone to buy the magazine because it is good and it looks great and as you say it's nice nice to not doom scroll for at least five minutes of your day cheers James thank you very much guys enjoyed that thanks cheers uh, James Bird there editor feature editor of Monday Old Mag um, uh, let's move on to any other business uh, Jamie says your Turkish Super League mentioned on the last pod led me to check out the top scorers this season quite a trip down memory lane Fabio Barini inexplicably still only 31 has an impressive 14 goals maybe he's the striker Chelsea need bring him home uh, Christian says with a 55 year old Japanese striker Kazuyoshi Miura joining Portuguese second tier side Oliverense on loan where in Europe would the panel reckon they could still do a job in the second division um, uh, uh, Nick says I'm really liking Barry guessing where random players are does he know where Ander Herrera is now oh um, Ander Herrera no I, I'm going to say Besiktas yeah, Mario <laughs> says Ander Herrera has just moved to Athletic Bilbao I've only now realised he's been there the entire season on a loan basis did Barry know of this transfer no um, on the subject of Michael Richards being James Bond, Brett says, uh, if and when the Michael Richards Bond film happens, surely Infantino is a shoe-in for Blofeld. It's a very good shout, isn't it? Uh, also, Richard Keyes would be an excellent odd job, wouldn't he? Um, uh, Turner Cording uh, on yesterday's pod, uh, when Max was trying to remember who Jan Begnerick played for, my mouth fell open waiting for some to, someone to bring up the fact that he started and played the full 90 for Southampton last night in the first game covered <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> on a similar line, similar line, David said, on the topic of no one knowing Birmingham Blackburn was on last night, Max proved this once again two minutes after mentioning the game by reading out the draw for the FA Cup and saying Leicester would play Birmingham or Blackburn in round five. <laughs> um, uh, Nils is on the subject of Football Weekly being listened to during uncomfortable situations. Um, a recent Ultra Demo interview credits the pod as a welcome distraction during his victory at the 268-mile The Spine race. Uh, Ultra Demo. I should check who he is, shouldn't I? He's a, that's not, he didn't have a vasectomy while doing it, just to point that out. Uh, he is a uh, ultra marathon runner. Damien Hall, he is, who won a race that was 268 miles long. Isn't it utterly ridiculous? Uh, thing to do and Dom says as a man in his mid-30s with enough children a vasectomy is on the cards I would happily purchase a special medical issue pod two hours of rambling to get through whatever is being sliced or diced for charity for Barry pick your good cause so um, I'm going to do it for free do you want to do a vasectomy special Barry at some point <laughs> um, 
I'm, I'm happy to do so if, if it helps uh, gentlemen get through what sounds like an unpleasant procedure. Uh, I know a couple, a few mates of mine have had them and, yeah, sort of pushing their testicles around in a wheelbarrow for a couple of days afterwards, I think. But, uh, yeah. Uh, would, would you, is it something you'd consider, Max? Uh, in, in well, not time. today. I mean, I've, I don't feel like I want any more children. Not that I don't love Ian Rushton, but uh, but um, I, I'm not doing it today. You know? Okay. <laughs> no. And when I do do it, I will certainly not be listening to this podcast. <laughs> that is for that is for sure. Anyway, look, that'll do for today. Uh, thanks so much, Jordan. Cheers, pal. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Barry. Thanks. Our Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian.